0: Our goal as we design this is to really understand the continuum of edge to supercomputers and where these AI accelerators can fit.
1: Cerebris, Sambanova, Graphcore, they were the first three of the specialized AI accelerator chips to be brought into the program. And then you've also added Grock and Havana.
0: In addition to the vendors you described, we are also working with others, such as Untether, Tenstorrent, Esperanto, among others.
2: Speaking of performance, can you say something about the system configuration? How big are these systems? What else is in there? The storage configuration and how data is fed.
0: Other experimental facilities where we are really understanding if we were to deploy inference accelerators right on the beamline, how effective are some of these accelerators for these workloads?
1: From Orion X in association with Inside HPC, this is the At HPC podcast. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Black as they discuss supercomputing technologies and the applications, markets, and policies that shape them. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Shaheen. As always, great to be with you.
2: As always, great to be here and looking forward to a really exciting conversation.
1: Yes. Today, our special guest is Venkat Vishwanath. He is a computer scientist and data science lead at Argonne Leadership Computing Facility of Argonne National
0: Lab, of course. And Venkat, welcome. Thank you very much, Doug and Shaheen, for having me here today. It's a pleasure to be here and to chat with you. Very good. Very good. So
1: today we're looking at the AI testbed at ALCF, and it's kind of a unique program. Really interested in digging into it a little bit. Venkat, let me just ask generally an open-ended question. Please give us a history of the AI testbed, when it was started, who was behind its creation, and what its mission is.
0: Definitely. So the ALCF AI testbed was formed, I would say, in 2020. And the goal of the ALCF AI testbed was to really understand the unique and novel AI accelerators that we were seeing being from various AI startups, and to really understand how effective are these accelerators for scientific machine learning so this was the original goal and our goal was to to understand efficacy of these ai accelerators for science and how we might design future systems that leverage these accelerators so our key mission is to really understand the efficacy of these ai accelerators rick stevens and mike papka were the core visionaries who thought about how should we go about evaluating these novel systems. And we formed the AI testbed as the vehicle for us to evaluate AI accelerators and also work with science teams to understand the efficacy. So we started off in 2020. And I'll also say that we have a phased approach as we do this evaluation. So just to give you a perspective, you know, we have, I would say, three phases of the AI testbed program. So phase one is where we would start working with, I would say, with startups on really early access to their products to really identify how effective are these for scientific machine learning. And we would work with science applications and with with our partners of your vendors to incorporate them as part of the AI testbed. This is usually, I would say, you know, systems in the size of one to two to four small systems. And once you've done that kind of an evaluation, we would next, we have a phase two, where we start looking at how do we build a rack scale systems with these, and we talk some more about them. And the phase three is how do we really take these systems that we have scaled at the rack level to how do we really integrate them as part of large scale supercomputers. So there's a phased approach and I'm sure we'll talk more about it as we go along.
1: Okay. Well, that's great, Venkat. Now, Cerebris, SambaNova, GraphCore, they were the first three of the specialized AI accelerator chips to be brought into the program. And then you've also added Grok and Habana, I think I have that right. How were they selected and are other technologies going to be added as the testbed program unfolds?
0: This is a great question. We are always looking to work with novel systems that can benefit science. We've worked with the systems that you've described. We've gone through a phase one with all these vendors, and I would say that we are in the phase two program with these. At the same time, we we continue to work with this landscape of novel AI accelerators. I would say that in addition to the vendors you described, we are also working with others such as Untether. Tens Torrent, Esperanto, among others, to really understand how do we bring those systems as part of our program and start evaluating them. So our goal is to really understand the entire AI accelerator space and how impactful are they for science and how do we design future systems leveraging them. So we worked with systems that were available, we incorporated them, we evaluate them, and we continue to discuss with a number of new collaborators and vendors as well Over
2: here, we are. Venkat, first of all, I really want to applaud Argon and your team to be doing what you're doing. This Cambrian explosion of AI chips, and there are really tens of them. I can't imagine the challenge of evaluating them and going through all the process that you have gone through. As you mentioned, some of them manifest themselves as systems and some of them are just chips or some of them are just PCIe cards. Do you envision that this will be a kind of a conveyor belt that they come in and they go out and you gain the experience that you need? Or is there a vision to just continue to amass as many of them as you can?
0: Well, this is a very key question that we are trying to address. When we first started off these systems, these were very one-offs, very unique, I would say, systems as such with different operating system requirements, how they could fit into a data center. They had very diverse requirements. And over time, what we have tried to do is work with these vendors to really think about if you were to deploy these systems into data centers or computing facilities, what can be some of the software environments, the system environments that they need to integrate Or built upon so that it can better enable them to be deployed at our centers so i'll just give you a couple of examples we are trying to ensure that they use a version of linux that has all this necessary security patches that makes it easier to deploy another Criteria for us is to work on scheduling systems such as PBS Pro is what we are using at our end to ensure that these systems can be scheduled and used by our users. These are just a couple of examples of not just bringing in systems, but bringing in systems that can be deployed and integrated as part of our facility. This makes it easier for any scientific user that would like to use a system that they'll have an environment that they're very familiar with and can easily access and use these systems. That usability component is very, very critical for us.
2: That's brilliant. This also is a good segue into the software stack. The whole AI world and the HPC world especially benefits from a lot of open source technology that accelerates progress. Can you speak to the software stack and what it looks like and how you go about it?
0: The software stack is key. You know, you may have an extremely powerful hardware, but if you don't have a software stack that's usable, you really cannot take advantage of that hardware. You know, if you look at the AI accelerator space, and if you compare it with, say, the NVIDIAs or the AMDs or the Intels, vendors in this space uh, from the startups have a smaller pool of resources that they have to work with. So what we have seen vendors do is uh, really prioritize certain types of models. They work with the open source, so they work with either PyTorch or TensorFlow because that makes it easier to uh, use their systems. But in terms of the types of kernels that are optimized for their underlying architecture, We've seen vendors really prioritize them to use. Some of them are focusing on large language models. Others have focused on language models and computer vision models. Some are also a little bit more supportive by wide, diverse set of models, including craft neural networks. So we've seen vendors initially take prioritize certain types of models and then start expanding their portfolio over here and i think this is this is expected yeah. you know given given the Types of resources that they may have, you know, you prioritize and get some wins and then start expanding over that. So, as we have worked with vendors here, it's been very important for us to understand where vendors are coming from, what kind of models are they optimizing. And as we bring in models from science, can we come up with a good overlap here? Because this helps us do an initial evaluation. And as we prove the efficacy of these systems, work with these vendors to broaden their the model support. And this is what we've done over the years for these vendors. And I would say that now there's been a time when I've I've actually had to go and program down to registers in the very first SDK to a point now two or three years later where we have Complete support for PyTorch, and we're able to get programs that run on other systems are able to run on these accelerators as well. So it's taken some effort where we have to really understand, you know, where the vendors are coming from and help them drive their roadmaps into directions that benefit us from uh, from science as well.
2: As an industry analyst, you must have two by two graphs everywhere. So one such two by two is you've got learning on one side and inference on the other, and you've got data center and all the way out on the actual device at the other. Now, in the context of national labs, some of your instruments are also Quote devices that are themselves becoming supercomputers. And so when you look at that two by two, you know, you mentioned on theater, so that sort of implies maybe inference, you know, mentioned, you know, Grok that applies inference in right. the data, but on the data center side now, sort of a thing. So do you see specialization among these? accelerators that fits that sort of taxonomy and is that the way you're also approaching it they say okay this is for learning this is for this kind of learning this is for that kind of inference I imagine that's part of what comes out of the experimentation when you see this thing is particularly good at this but not that is that a proactive positioning or what you will find as a result of the experimentation
0: yeah so I would say in some cases as you mentioned renders are focusing specifically on inference. Two good examples, like you mentioned, are Grok and Untether, versus in other cases, they are f- trying to focus on the entire space of, of training and inference as well. Right. And another aspect that we have seen is that, you know, you have, as we work proactively with vendors, they start improving their software stack. So hmm. you know, going from just training to now, in some cases, you can support training and inference. It's also possible in, in, in architectures that weren't possible earlier. So we've seen growth in uh, the types of workloads that can be supported by by these accelerators. The other kind of direction that you mentioned is very critical for us, where we work very closely with experimental facilities, such as the light sources. We are interested in... You are like uh, the
2: biggest photon source, aren't you, right now?
0: That's right. So we have the advanced photon source at Argonne. Among other experimental facilities, where we are really understanding if we were to deploy inference accelerators right on the beamline, how effective are some of these accelerators for these workloads? Hmm. So, our goal as we design this is to really understand the continuum of edge to supercomputers and where these AI accelerators can fit in. Not all accelerators can fit in all places given that they are specifically targeting for s- specific functionality so we are teasing out this space based on our workloads and also understanding you know how effective are they for say inference what kind of energy efficiencies do you get for certain accelerators what kind of scaling performance can you get you know this is more at the data center scale so, these are various dimensions of our evaluations that we do. Brilliant.
1: Yeah. Venkat, I think I first saw the unusual dinner plate size Cerebrus wafer scale chip. I think it was at SC in 2019. Really an unusual piece of looking, at least, piece of technology. But for someone who's accustomed to, say, conventional CPU, GPU, HPC class AI cluster working with a cluster like that. Is there a difference working with these AI specialty chips like Cerebrus, Sambanova, and the others? Or is it just the same thing, only what's it like to actually perform workloads if you're the end user with these specialty processors?
0: Our goal is to provide users with the same type of user experience that they get on how they use the systems today. When I say use systems, they use any commodity or supercomputer. Today, we want them to have the same experience running applications on those and have the same experience to run their applications on these AI accelerators. So we've come a long way. We are closer to the vision that if you have a AI model that runs on a GPU system, you will have out-of-the-box experience to run on these AI accelerators. And I would say that, That is the vision and goal. And different vendors are at different places in that spectrum over there, points in the spectrum. This is really key for adoption of the systems by science. And we work very closely with vendors on how do we achieve the same usability that we experience on any system that they work with today. If your usability is similar and you get a performance advantage we'll see uh, teams adopt it and if it's 10x in terms of the amount that you need to spend to use the system whereas you get a 10x performance that is a challenge that we need to bridge so we work really closely with vendors to make sure that the usability of the system is you know similar to what we experience on any gpu based system that they're used to and we've done a lot of efforts towards the space one is working with vendors Second is we have organized tutorials with them where we take commonly used application models and ensure how do we run these common models across various vendors. We've had tutorials at Supercomputing in the past. We had one at sc 22. We have a tutorial that's been accepted at Supercomputing 23. We have open public tutorials for these systems where our goal is to, you know, as we would introduce any new system that we deploy, we have, we work with testbed vendors to really work through simple examples to more complicated examples and provide workshops on how to effectively use the systems and best practices among them. So this is a you know, This is something that we work very closely to ensure that the systems are very intuitive and usable as well.
1: Just a quick follow-up, if I could. Tell us about performance then, again, comparing, say, a Cerebrus or whichever of these chips, as you said, is further along on the usability scale. How does the performance compare to, say, conventional CPU, GPU, AI cluster?
0: We've done extensive performance, which are driven by applications. At Supercomputing 2022 last year, we published a paper at the PMBS workshop that really compared Cerebris, Grok, Graphcore, and SambaNova with A100 NVIDIA GPUs, and we did this for a very diverse set of workloads spanning, I would say, computer vision models among other science models as well as trying to understand scalability over here. Another example that I'll give you is that, that we have used... I'll, I'll pick one example. Actually, I'll pick multiple examples here. So we have for nuclear physics, where we are trying to classify various particles over here, this is work that we have done in collaboration with Corey Adams here at Argonne. It's a model called Cosmic Tagger. The challenge with Cosmic Tagger is that the image resolutions are really extremely large. And to really run it on some of the GPU systems today, you have to downsample it. Running on the SambaNova system, we were able to really run at native resolution because of the high memory footprint that's available on these RDUs from SambaNova. And we were able to get state-of-the-art performance and able to reconstruct and classify the data from these detectors at native resolution. So this is one example. Working with Cerebrus, we've had several... Exemplars over here. We have a paper at that won the Gordon Bell Prize for innovations in COVID-19 research using HPC resources, where we were able to really scale some of the large language models seamlessly up to sixteen CS2s here. Which is pretty phenomenal in terms of how we could train them. In 2021, we have done some similar things with computer vision models where we have seen an order of magnitude improvements over what you could get on GPU-based supercomputers. So this is, you know, with respect to training, we've done work on inferencing on Grok where we have seen, again, factors of magnitude improvement for inference performance for applications which are very latency sensitive over here. So We have seen very promising impacts with using these accelerators in comparison with The way we do AI today on supercomputers that we need to better, we need to explore this and see how they can make an impact on future systems going forward.
2: That's excellent. Megan, you answered one of my questions about how to learn from your experiences and how to collaborate. And you mentioned the tutorial at SC23. So we definitely look forward to that and encourage our listeners to go check it out. Speaking of performance, can you say something about the system configuration? Just ballpark, how big are these systems? What else is in there? Part of the system configuration question for me is also the storage configuration and how data is fed through in and out of these systems. Any of that would be great to know.
0: Sure. I'm happy to answer all of these. So, today we have for Cerebras, we have two CS2 systems which are interconnected mm-hmm. with both the Memory X and a Swarm X fabric. For SambaNova, we have the SN30. That's their second generation system with where we have eight nodes where each node has eight RDUs. So we are talking about 64 RDUs. We have a rack of Graphcore Bo 64 systems. So we are talking about, again, 64 IPUs over here. We have two nodes of Habana, Gaudi 1, and are currently looking at their upcoming offerings over here. We just procured Grok Rack, which consists of nine Grok nodes, each with eight Grok chips. So, and these are interconnected by uh, Dragonfly Interconnect as well. So this is kind of where the systems are. So initially we, you know, just to give you an example, we went from two nodes of Sabanova, and we've scaled out to eight nodes. We went from a single node of CS1 that we originally procured to now we've gone to CS2, CS2s together mm-hmm. with their Memex and Swamex fabric. We've gone to rack scales at both Grok and Graphcore. So If all these systems that we have scaled out are multi-rack systems today. In terms of storage, one thing that's very key for us is to ensure that we have a common storage infrastructure that feeds in all these systems. Today, what we have is an NFS-based storage backend that we feed these systems in. And that's primarily to having a common storage lets us evaluate multiple systems with the data sets that we have over here. And this is also critical for us to ensure how do we connect these fabrics or these uh, various systems to uh, a storage fabric that's common to our, uh, our facility over here. As we move to phases where we move them closer to integrating them into our facility, we are exploring other opportunities on how do we connect these systems to our production storage, which are Luster based today, and mm-hmm. we're working with vendors on how do we support Luster on these systems so that data sets that we have on our production file systems can be run across these or can be fed into these AI accelerators as well. So that's that's the vision of where we would like to go to. You know, today we have NFS based storage that we feed in for these systems.
1: Then, Kat, this whole generative AI phenomenon chat GPT, has that driven more interest from organizations wanting to try out this hardware?
0: I would say that that's definitely helped fuel some more interest into science teams that are interested in leveraging these systems. I would say that if you look at the software stack support, most vendors in this space have a very optimized and efficient stack for large language models over here. So we are seeing, I would say, tremendous interest in science research teams who would like to take advantage of these novel AI accelerators for, I would say, foundational models and large language models. To give you a couple of examples, you know, we have teams in material science who are working with on generative AI over here. We have a team that, again, the team that won the Gordon Bell Prize last year was also using generative AI approaches for understanding the SARS-CoV-2 virus evolution over time. So this has definitely fueled the interest as well.
2: Can you say more about the fabric that is used to connect these things? I know that they probably, I envision that these are sort of their own pods and that multiple nodes of the same vendor are their own separate pods in the network of the data center. Within each system, what is the preferred fabric, and how fast are they?
0: So I would say that most systems are based on Ethernet. So uh-huh. they are they are either they are based on either 100 gig Ethernet or 200 gig Ethernet or, or the next generation beyond that, and. They have communication protocols uh, which are on top of these. They always tend to use a little bit of some optimized versions that can, can leverage their hardware more efficiently. So they mm-hmm. have communication libraries over here. But we are mo- we're seeing a trend where the fabric is moving toward, we see an adoption of Ethernet here.
2: So Venkat, I have to ask you about quantum computing because I know that Argonne is also pursuing that. And in many circles, that is just another accelerator. Is that something that is just left for later on as it gets its bearings? Or is that also part of your radar?
0: It is very much part of our radar at Argonne National Laboratory, where we are looking. We have significant investments in understanding the efficacy of quantum machines, algorithms. Quantum algorithms There's also close collaborations with science teams here. And on our radar is... Really trying to understand how do we architect future systems that would be a hybrid of traditional computing, novel AI accelerators, and quantum systems. So, and you know, they all have different timescales that we expect quantum systems to be realizable. But it is something where we have significant uh, research and development investments in trying to understand the efficacy of these systems here.
2: Venkat, one more question. Getting all of this done through the maze of government processes and Department of Energy, that certainly sounds like a non-trivial task. Would you say some words about how you guys went about doing that and what sort of help you got from the bigger organization?
0: It's definitely, it requires the technical vision and the leadership to really drive this area. And I would really like to thank the US Department of Energy, Office of Science, the Advanced Computing Research Division for their funding that funds the Argonne Leadership Computing Facility for really providing the vision and leadership to help us establish this testbed and help scientific machine learning and AI for science on novel AI accelerators.
2: Perfect. It does come across as a substantial team effort. I mean, really, from the Department to your team, to vendors, on and on and on. So, excellent work. Thank you.
1: Then, Kat, maybe we could close with a quick question about the team that really pulls this program together and runs it. How would you
0: describe it? this has been a great team effort. There's a really large team that works on this tirelessly, works very closely with vendors. We work closely with science teams. We provide documentation, tutorials, and support. And I'm grateful for all the collaboration that we have with vendors. And we have a really amazing team here at Argonne and the leadership that we have that's really forged this together for us to understand the impact here for science
2: brilliant that was fabulous and i'm so delighted that like everything you said is is just right on
0: thanks for having me here today and this has been really fun to be working on and we'll continue to be driving this area so looking forward to more interactions and podcasts with you both absolutely
2: absolutely we'd love to come and see all the toys that you play with that just sounds so
0: much fun (laughs) oh you're always welcome excellent all right thanks so much for your time Thank thank you so much
1: that's it for this episode of the At HPC podcast. Every episode is featured on InsideHPC.com and posted on OrionX.net. Use the comment section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics of discussion. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The At HPC podcast is a production of OrionX in association with Inside HPC. Thank you for listening.